oh man, my voice just nearly oh. died. Welcome back Ooh. to the show, everybody. You want, uh, you want me to do it? You want me to do it? <laughs> oh man, that'd be weird. That would throw everybody off. <sighs> okay, okay, you can continue. You can, Mr. No. Throat Coffee Scratchy let's, Man voice. Let's, let's do it. Oh, okay. <clears throat> TC, you start it. Okay, okay. Hello, Internet. Oh, oh man. <laughs> I didn't say exactly like I would do it. <laughs> Hello, Internet Dwellers, and welcome back to the Top Shelf Disney Animation Studios podcast, where we are watching everything from Snow White to Moana. I am TC, and with me across the country, as always, is my lovely assi- uh, uh, co-host, oh, assistant. Oh, oh, man. I downgraded oh, you I, uh, because I've been upgraded to introducing the show. Oh, did man. I just downgrade you to my assistant? I am sorry. I think you Jeff. did. It's my show, no, TC. It's your show. It's your show. <laughs> Who are you, Jeff? <laughs> I'm Jeff. I don't know. I think you just answered that question. Hi, everybody. It's Jeff here. How you doing? Jeff, you're not, you're not feeling well today, are you? No. Uh, so funny story. I woke up this morning and did not have a voice at all. Like, it, it actually was a little scary. I, I went to speak just something to myself and nothing came out. And I didn't know where I had lost my voice in the last six hours since I'd gone to bed. <laughs> so it's back a little bit, but I still mm-hmm. have a bit of a cough and a right. little bit of a, a rough start. To, to we wanted me, to you we sound exactly s- like Harvey Feuerstein. It's I amazing. know. It's, I'm getting closer Hello. every day. No, don't day don't you don't you do it. Me. Don't oh, you do it. You're just gonna no, hurt your voice more. <laughs> I got I don't I don't know my <laughs> Anyways, uh, so as per, uh, I don't know, a handful of weeks ago when I was sick, uh, this week's episode is probably going to be mostly TC talking. And I, I will, I will uh, I'll force you to talk as much as I can make you talk. <laughs> well, in all fairness, it won't be any different than any other week where you do 90% of the talking and I sit here and go, uh-huh, yep, I, I like see, that, I don't, and then repeat. I don't know, <laughs> I, don't know I, I feel a little bad because I don't feel like I spoke enough about Lilo and Stitch last week. We'll, we'll get to today's episode, but I do want to say that <laughs> after we'd finished recording, very rarely do I walk away from an episode and feel like I didn't give it my all but for as much as i love lilo and stitch that i've mm-hmm. done a, a a piece about it before i didn't feel like i gave that episode my all and I, and I apologize to you and the listeners well you know what tc we all can't be perfect i mean <laughs> i mean i can but i mean most you of can, us can't can. be perfect and uh, it happens <laughs> uh, you know sometimes we just don't uh, are you kidding me i walk away from like half these episodes going yeah, I just repeated everything TC said. <laughs> Never. I wait, to, I wait for him to say something good, and then I go, yeah, I'm going to say that same thing. So exactly what you just <laughs> said, except uh, I don't know more of this is kind of thrown in there, just to make it sound like I am coming up with my own original content. But, well, behind every great movie critic is a great Jeff. Hey, uh, there's a lot of Jeffs, by the way. Yeah, just actually, yeah, no, that's a lie. There's about four. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, but today, today we are continuing our adventures in science fiction, which it, it did not dawn on me until we had watched this series that we've been mm-hmm. watching of of these that it was three science fiction films in a row. And uh, what are we watching today? Well, this week we watched the 2002 film. I believe our second film from 2002 uh, Mm. on this list in particular, Treasure Planet, which, okay, so let me say something real quick off the bat Mm -hmm. here, and then I will let Mm -hmm. you go, TC. Okay. Um, (laughs) I I realized something while watching this movie, and it's the fact that, you know how when we watched Atlantis, I went, man, I was really thinking, I I think I was confusing that movie with Titan AE. Right. 
Turns out I was confusing both or all three of these films for the same film. <laughs> so you've you've seen Treasure Planet before and didn't realize it. Is that what you're no, saying? No, I've seen Titan AE and haven't and didn't realize it. <laughs> <laughs> I kept thinking Titan AE's plot was Treasure Island and then also a little bit of Atlantis. Like the, the those three movies in my head are the same film. All all jumbled up. Well, are they all the same film now? Well, I mean, we're you have not seen Titan A.E., but <laughs> you able to no, separate I, <laughs> Atlantis from Treasure Planet, at least. I can separate those two now, and now I know okay. which one is which. But even so, going into this movie, even though I know this movie was, uh, was you know, is based on Treasure Island, uh, you know, the, the well, was it Robert? Uh, Robert, Lu- uh, Robert Lewis Robert Stevenson. Robert Stevenson, thank you. I'm like, Robert <laughs> yeah. Stevenson Lewis? I'm like, that's not, that's not right. Uh, but even though... Um, even though I know it's based upon that novel and I helped out in a play in high school for Treasure Island. So like, I know the play of Treasure Island. I know mm-hmm. the concept of what it is. Obviously I've seen Muppet Treasure Island, but like <laughs> going into that, I still in some part of my brain thought that that's that the, whatever the plot of Titan AE is now, which I have to go back and watch because I, <laughs> now I have really no idea what the hell, what that movie was, <laughs> but it's. I just. I thought. I kept thinking all three of these films were the same movie, and and, and I was wrong. So. So this was essentially a fresh take for you, like a first timer, first time viewing of it. Yeah, because okay. going into it, I'm like, okay, okay. I. I mean, I know the story of Treasure Island, but I don't know it a hundred percent well enough to to mm-hmm. really know. Like, and plus, obviously, this is. You know, this is kind of like a futuristic spaceified version, which I know is based on. The book and also a Italian TV show, I think, in the late '80s or something. Well, I um, was not aware of that little tidbit. <laughs> really? Oh, see, I can just drop those little tidbits here and there, just uh, letting everybody know. Yeah, no, it's like it's a it's a it was a TV miniseries, an Italian TV miniseries called Treasure Island in Outer Space, <laughs> which was the working title for this movie. <laughs> which I'm not surprised. Uh, <laughs> I like Treasure uh, well, Planet better, though. Let me just say that. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I. I, I'm I'm very anxious to see how you whether or not you enjoyed this or what your feelings on it. But uh, let's let's just jump into a couple of little like little tidbits about this movie. Give your voice okay. a rest for a moment because you oh, did mention you. you did you did give a lot of uh, information here that's worth going off of. Yes, this is an adaptation of Robert Louis Stevenson's um, Treasure Island, but I don't I don't think that this is the Disneyfication of that story. Okay, so like we've we've seen Disneyfication of of fairy tales. It's something that's very common and often what uh, a lot of hipsters like to stick and turn their nose up at uh, at what Disney does in interpreting the materials that they have into, you know, the films that they have. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't think that this falls into that Disneyfication of classic literature like we've seen in previous incarnations like uh, Sword in the Stone or even Tarzan. Because uh, Musker and Clements, the directors of this movie, they built they built upon what Robert Louis Stevenson had originally written, mm-hmm. but they changed some like very specific elements that that really it created more depth in the characters, right? Whereas right. In, in in previous adaptations, they've they've uh, they've pulled punches to make Disney has pulled punches to make stories more friendly. I think Treasure Planet actually. I feel like it digs a little a little deeper and it deals with a little more darker substance. I mean, there's death on screen in this. There's murder, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, there's a lot of it too, actually, yeah, considering. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't go as dark as, say, something like Black Cauldron or even we've seen a couple more 
uh, brutal deaths, like uh, uh, was Red, um, uh, the hunter from Tarzan. From Tarzan. Getting, yeah, yeah. Dear goodness, yeah. that's still up there. It was like oh, one of the all-time deaths. <laughs> yeah. But uh, in, in interpreting source material to the screen, they actually and making things a little more complex, like Long John Silver's betrayal has much more meaning behind it because of his backstory. Um, just this, just the real small, subtle romance between uh, Delbert and Captain Amelia, and uh, but the most the most impressive thing to me that they did was that they took. Jim Hawkins, who in the book, he's a perfectly fine hero on a hero's journey. He, he's Treasure Island is one of the most classic pieces of young literature ever written. And they, they tweaked Jim ever so much to make him a little more complex of a young, of a young hero in, in dealing with a lot of abandonment issues <laughs> to be, right. to, to, to be very upfront. Um, and I, and I, I appreciate that about what they did. So uh, my, Jeff, I uh, I got some good news for you. Okay, we ha- we have a Katzenberg corner for this mo- for this movie. It has become a thing again. <laughs> hashtag package films. Man, at yeah. this point, I feel like we've almost had more Katzenberg corner moments than we had hashtag package films. Is that true? <laughs> I I think we have because he was responsible for some uh, for for all the Renaissance. He hasn't been with the company since 90, 1994, but the effects of his time have rippled past which we i believe we 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 foreshadowed by saying there there is more of his handiwork to come and this this in particular is i, I mean this might be the very very last katzenberg thing we have to deal with um you've said that before i have said that before <laughs> but if if memory serves me yeah this will fall this this will be it okay so let, let me let me give you a little history lesson jeff if you don't mind Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Musker and Clements were the directors of Treasure Planet. They had also directed a few other films we've seen throughout uh, the the past couple decades. They started on the animation team for Black Cauldron. Okay, so if you you might remember Jeff, Black Cauldron didn't do so well, right? <laughs> <laughs> Due in large part to the meddling of Jeffrey Katzenberg. Um, but that's 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 a, a an aside that comes back very poetically by the end of this little uh, Katzenberg corner moment here. Uh, Musker and Clements started on Black Cauldron, and I'm going off. I'm I'm doing. My, I have a couple of little notes here, but I'm I'm going to go off mostly memory here. Okay. Uh, do, you, do you remember the Gong Show that Eisner and, and Katzenberg used to do? Yes. All right. So for those who might not have listened to previous episodes. When Katzenberg and Eisner came over to Disney Animation and took over, they had come from Paramount. They had come from the Hollywood system, and they changed how the Disney Animation Studios were run. One of the things they liked to do is they had anyone and everyone who worked in the animation uh, studios to pitch movies. And Musker and Clements had pitched a couple of movies. Treasure Island in Space was their dream project. Way back in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, that's what they wanted to do. They had come off of uh, Black Cauldron. They had some a little bit of cred to their name, and they wanted to do Treasure Island in space. But uh, um, there was no interest in it. In fact, they had pitched Little Mermaid, which had they they've been told no fairy tales. But Little Mermaid was such a great pitch that they're like, no wait, let's do Little Mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they also had a, a little bit of cred because they had directed The Great Mouse Detective. And then Katzenberg liked what they did there because that was a financial success. Uh, he continued to say, no, pirates in space, stop pitching that. And you know what you should do? Do Little Mermaid. So then they did a Little Mermaid. 
and then that was a success. And then they did Aladdin, and that was a massive success. And then they did Hercules, and that did fine. (laughs) But for five movies, these guys did everything that they were told. They fell in line again and again and again. And just before Katzenberg left Disney, he gave them the green light to go into development for Treasure Island in space. Man, it was one of the last things because they had they had proven Musker and Clowns had proven to be good soldiers. They had proven they were capable of making good movies. They were capable of making so-so movies if you want to go off of Hercules finances. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were given the go-ahead on Treasure Island and or Treasure Island in space <laughs> to Treasure Planet, <laughs> and 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 then they began production. This was their dream production, um, and uh, there's. There's more to, to come from this, but uh, that, that was the end of Katzenberg's... That was like the last decision he made was to greenlight this movie. And now we can discuss whether that was a good idea or not. Jeff, <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have a little more history about this film, and we can get into it. But um, for, the, for the most part, I, I'm wondering how you felt about this movie. So it's 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 weird, okay? Like, I... Uh, this is another one of those movies that while I was watching it, I was... I was trying to, like, I, I wanted to make sure that I, I didn't have any kind of prejudging, you know, going into it. Again, I didn't really knew, know what I was watching. Yeah. Just, I was still, like, halfway through it, and it was, it was when I realized, I'm like, oh, no, this is not the movie I thought <laughs> I was watching. This is not Titan A.E. Where's Matt Damon? Where's <laughs> Matt <know>. Damon? <laughs> I, you know, funny thing about Titan A.E., it is a Don Bluth film. Um, <laughs> and, and, and written by Joss Whedon, as we mentioned. Yeah, see, it just keeps coming back to those guys, I tell you. No, so this movie, uh, this, this movie was, was interesting, because it... It, I, I once I caught on, I'm like, okay, so yes, we are in fact doing kind of like you said. I think you brought up a good point that it's not a, it's not the Disneyfication of Treasure Island. It's mm-hmm. more of a inspired by the tale of Treasure Island. You know, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, it's still it still follows the plot rather closely, and they just found yeah. little tweaks and twists along the way to 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 make it more unique. But yeah, 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 go. Ahead. But like watching it, um, it, it's another one of those movies where unfortunately I was. I was kind of pulled out a little bit once they get to the planet mm-hmm. and they introduce Ben, the Martin <laughs> yeah. Short robot we, character. You want to jump? You want to jump right to this, Jeff? I feel you like want, we should. You want to jump right to this? Okay. Unfor- unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, and I've seen Martin Short in person, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at, at a show uh, a couple years ago, and he was brilliant. Uh, he was very funny. He was the best, actually, he was the best part. A show between Steve Martin and Martin Short, Martin Short was actually the funniest part of that show. <laughs> Mar- Martin like, Short is, yep. I've, I've listened to his autobiography that he, 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 he read his own biography, his audio, audio, autobiography, whatever, and it's a, <laughs> it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful story of his life. It's very, very sweet. He's a very sweet and talented man. However... <laughs> However, he oftentimes ends up portraying these characters that are so loud and over the top and almost to the point of just shut up. <laughs> like I you're not it's not fun anymore. Just stop. I, I thought that uh, we would get much further into this episode before we got to this. Um, yeah, you but, asked me what my opinion was and unfortunately no. this was the point where I went, "Oh, Oh, we switched. Oh, we're here now. Oh boy. Oh boy. Okay. Uh, Martin Short's Ben, his his uh, bioelectric navigator. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the Jar Jar Binks of the animated Disney library. I 
you know, it's it's fine to have a comedic sidekick in, to right. our protagonist. It's a tradition in yeah. Disney from Dopey to Timon and Pumbaa to Shmee. Like, it's standard, right? And right. I don't know if any listener who's been listening this, to this entire series may have remembered that I mentioned quite a few epi- episodes ago that we would reach a film uh, that would reach max capacity of sidekicks. <laughs> this is it. This okay, is <laughs> there are too many sidekicks in this movie. Okay, we've had sidekicks that don't work before, and we've had sidekicks voiced by '80s comedians that don't quite work. But this, right. this is the worst. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, I, I even you know I, I'm even making him. I'm even putting him above Jason Alexander's gargoyle from Hunchback of Notre Dame. You know which, what? I'm okay with that, actually. Uh, because cause as annoying as Jason Alexander's Gargoyle is in Hunchback, and anyone who listened to that episode knows my feelings, he at least was plot contextual. And and though Ben is just a deus ex machina, literally, he's a machine, and he pushes the plot to its next uh, next points because it's just, how do we get to this next thing? Oh, I got a back door right here! Yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. It's... His introduction is an hour into the film, and that that may have worked, but we had already been suffering through the comedic sidekicks of Morph and Dilberts. And right. <laughs> well, well, like first off, they introduced him an hour into the movie of a ninety-minute movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're literally introducing the character that is going to finish the plot mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with uh, with less than 20 minutes of the film left? Because if you had a 95 minutes long, at least 10 minutes of that is credits. So you have yeah. 20 minutes of the movie left, and it's, oh, here's this new character, by the way. The, the, really? Like, what? The, the comedy in this movie misses pretty much 75% of the time. Yeah. And and one one tiny little tweak that I could make to this existing movie, and I'll play a little fan theory here or a little fan fiction here. Okay. If Mar- if Ben uh, if Ben had been a dark character, not a villain, but like a danger, in that instead of being like, oh, I'm so happy to see you, like uh, this this over the top nails on chalkboard annoying sidekick, if he had been this. Lost his mind, dark character, which is a little more consistent to what's in the actual book, as opposed to introducing this silly sidekick, introducing someone who is helpful but also a danger, would have right. just been much more consistent to the overall tone of this movie, which is it's an adventure film. It, we are still playing in the adventure realm, but it, it's a darker film, right? And that tone, that tone, though, I mean, and this comes back to what we've discussed numerous times before on this podcast with certain films. It's mm-hmm. the tonal inconsistency of a movie itself. This film falls in line with, and honestly, I think this is why Ben was so just annoying <sighs> to me, was because we, like you said, we spend the first hour, in my opinion, we spend the first hour in a very different movie. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, there's, Martin there's Short's humor. character ruin, changes the entire tone of this film. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like the movie is kind of dark. I mean, yes, there, the, you know, the David Hyde Pierce character. Um, I'm spacing on all the actual Del- characters. Delbert. Uh, Delbert. He, you know, he he is the comic relief of. I don't know why with the first like 20 minutes of the movie. Then he kind of just disappears for a while when we focus on Jim and uh, 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 Long John Silver. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it Long John Silver? Is that techni- is that the appropriate just, name for him? Just, it's just yeah, John Silver, yeah, isn't it's it? It's John Silver, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, uh, so, like it kind of turns and it goes a little dark, like darker, which I'm, I would have been 
fine with just having mm-hmm. uh, 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 Delbert pop back up every once in a while as a momentary, just kind of, you know, just to break the tension or, you know, to just kind of ease the audience. But when he goes away, it becomes a dark film. And then Ben shows up and then it goes, oh, that's right. We're in a wacky comedy again. Yeah. And, and Del- Delbert's ca- comedy is is fine. I don't like like there's a when he talks to the flatulent guy that yes like that's okay haha <laughs> fart joke um, but the Star the, Trek reference the Star Trek dang it Jim I'm a doctor well I'm, I mean I'm a doctor but not and I think that might have been more delivery than the written line the go Delbert go Delbert like I didn't like yes. that it all felt it was the it was the it wasn't the right kind of comedy for everything else that was consistent in this film right. I felt right. like the com- the comedy overall just didn't work, but but Delbert was fine. Like it, it was it was in, in that realm of of something like um, uh, Danny DeVito's character uh, um, Phil in Hercules. Like oh okay, okay, those jokes those those fine those are fine jokes. Maybe in a different mood, I would chuckle at a few of those. Mm-hmm. But as soon as Ben enters, and we're, we don't have to spend too much more time talking about how insufferable <laughs> this character is. But it, it does say a lot about for everything that this film has going for itself that that one character really drags it down in all the wrong yeah. ways. Yep, and it almost to the point where like I just kept rolling my eyes, unfortunately. Ugh. Which yeah, I yeah. in all fairness, I kind of rolled my eyes and groaned on almost all of the jokes in this film. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, again the the Star Trek line. There's a there's a line when they're in the treasure room at the end when they're trying to uh, they're trying to like scoop up all the treasure. Somebody oh, yeah, goes, "I yeah. think you're gonna need a bigger boat." Need a bigger and I went, boat. "Oh, really? A Jaws reference now? That's what we're doing?" Like, <laughs> it just it doesn't. The I'm not, uh, the one moment that I I legitimately laughed and I mm. thought, okay, that was kind of funny. It was um, Morph, and it was right after Jim had encountered uh, the the spider crabby looking thing which yeah. was a little creepy and he's talking to morph and morph like morphs into into the spider thing and just goes spider psycho spider psycho that was kind of funny like i chuckled yeah. at that i was like okay that's funny morph, but that was also early a, on with morph morph kind of just mm, he's a, he's a he's a relatively cute sidekick i can i like morph i, I think he's fine um but for for the most part, why I say this is max capacity of sidekicks is because all the sidekicks in this movie, none of them are are really great sidekicks. Delbert's fine, but he has a lot of jokes that misfire. Morph is fine, but there's also a little too much of him. Ben is the worst. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> but but let's let's. Let's uh, let's let's look at some other aspects of this movie. It, uh, once again, we have it, it seems to go without saying, but it is worth saying. This movie is freaking beautiful. Oh yes, it's it's it, it's it's beautiful to look at when the camera isn't doing weird move throughs inside certain locations. Because unfortunately, the CGI in my eye mm-hmm. was it was a little too much in times because because most of the background is this is cgi yeah um i think they did i think they might have done some of the deep canvas stuff that we've talked about like on tarzan and all that oh oh yeah uh this (laughs) this movie used deep canvas in nearly in over 80 percent of the entire film anytime they were outside on the ship they were using the deep canvas technique and and if uh, those not familiar with what the deep canvas technique is it is a a cg created environment that then animator background animators paint onto, and then 2D animators animate onto, 
And then on top of that, they would embellish things with CGI. So a character right. like John Silver is a mix of 2D animation, hand-drawn, with CG animation thrown on top of him, and then flattened to 2D to put him on the deep canvas. So the, <laughs> the techniques used in blending all of these is very ambitious. It's, oh, yeah. it's, it's got the most complex color palettes. Uh, the only other movie that had a more complex color palette was Fantasia 2000. And it's also the reason this movie was a financial failure, because it was so expensive to do all that. And and again, it's it's one of those it's one of those things where it's obviously it's a product of the time, you know. We're still kind of coming. We're we're at this point we're in two thousand two, so we're still what you could argue as the early days of CG animated films. Um, you know, coming off of like a Dinosaur, where the the characters were entirely CG. Right. Yeah, the the CG looks a lot better in this film, but I still just I was. I was detached a couple times from the big sweeping moves. Not all the time, not all of them. Um, actually, and I think what most of them were, were it's the camera moves inside the cabins. Oh, yes. Threw me the, off a little bit. The chase, little chase sequences where they would run. Yeah. The, they, they did it at least twice where it was like, oh, God, I'm getting a little nauseous here. <laughs> right. But, I mean, I will still agree. Like, the animation is done, like, the actual, like, 2D animation is done brilliantly. You know, even the the, the whole climactic scene where the, the planet's basically imploding on itself. Yeah. That, very well done, looks very pretty, very gorgeous, um, <clears throat> and would have been a nightmare to have done by hand i'm sure of it <laughs> yeah, so the, the the blending of of the cgn here when it when it really works is on on uh, i'll compliment ben because ben was an entirely cgi character animated to be 2d to work on the deep canvas and so there's a little credit to him as a character and john silver's <laughs> cyborg mechanisms were all cgi and that that was really impressively done as well oh yeah because because they those were done so well you kind of didn't realize they were CG. Like mm. Ben, could you? I watching Ben. Man, I should probably go back and watch that again. I still got the movie for another day. Um, <laughs> I uh, seventy-two hours Amazon Prime, baby. Um, <laughs> I had to pay money for this movie. So the <laughs> sorry, that sounds so <laughs> negative. I, I don't know what you're talking about. No, the, um, the, the watching watching Ben, you kind of don't realize that he's a CG character because. Mm. They nailed they they got him to look like 2D very well, right? You know, yeah. and, and in the in the past, would you know like a lot of these films, you know, Emperor's New Groove, going all the way back to like Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin. Obviously, they use the CG for the like the vehicles and the things that they can't they that were too hard or too difficult to draw by hand. Mm -hmm. and, but they it still kind of always looked a little different. It was always not quite like ah that's. That's obviously CG. It's, right. it's trying it, it to look out. 2D. It stands yeah. out. Yeah. It, it's but, the, but Ben it, doesn't do that, and it, 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 that's a credit to the the filmmakers of it. Yeah, to the to the animation, and, and honestly, yeah. the character designs of this film are very neat. They're very unique, and and once again, it's not it it doesn't much like um, a lot of the design of Atlantis, and even Lilo and Stitch. Those movies don't inherently jump out looking like Disney movies. There's certainly elements. I think I said Milo and Kida were very Disney looking, but when you look at the supporting cast of characters and the environments and the vehicles in Atlantis, they don't look like many of the other Disney movies. And Treasure Planet has a very unique look as well. Maybe some of the creature designs just 
they as there's hundreds of creature designs in this movie because they design yes. every character in the crowds, which is again, great job, guys. Also made this movie really expensive, <laughs> but don't cut corners because then you get cool looking things. So it's this weird double edged sword. Um, but even Jim himself doesn't have the the Disney traditional Disney eyes, right? Mm-hmm. He has a, a unique quality in his oh, facial structure, it, and it, it, it's weird because they look they the so many of the shots are like straight on, and it, and it goes for his mom too. Mm-hmm. Both of those characters, a lot of the camera angles are straight on their face, and mm. they don't have bridges of their nose. Right, it's just a little button for their nose, and their just eyes a little, are spaced a little button. further yeah. apart. Yeah, and then <laughs> and it's just like then it's just this lot like this lot of blank skin space, and it's just it looks kind of weird it's, when you look at is, them, and yeah, that's what yeah. kind of threw me off for him so much. They're, they're the only two human characters in the entire movie, so it, and they like, had to make them look weird. <laughs> I, no, Why? I mean they have to make them look weird. I don't know. Yeah. I, I I'm hearing you be a little more negative towards their design. I'm being a little more pro- positive towards their design. But oh, that's um, fine. This is the movie where we disagree on TZ. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> um, I I think that um, that the the complexity of the relationship between antagonist and protagonist is something that I don't feel like we've ever seen before. That that hero and villain aren't. Like uh, Silver, which could be a, is a complaint from one of our listeners on the Facebook page. He is he a good guy or is he a bad guy? And that's he's definitely the antagonist. But is he truly a villain? He plays in this very interesting land of gray, which I find kind of cool. Right, and that's what I. I and it, it's it was hard for me to to wrap my head around the, exactly that while watching it because I always knew John Silver to be basically the villain and the film you know the film starts him off with him being a fairly good guy like when jim first meets him inside the uh the kitchen Mm -hmm. um and then it it plays out a little bit and then the moment hits where you know obviously jim overhears him being like no we're going to you know we're gonna we're we're holding it we're not gonna do that yet we're gonna wait till we get closer and then we're gonna take over the ship and blah blah blah. and i go okay so yeah he is the bad guy Mm -hmm. and then the rest of the movie plays out with him being very much so the villain of the film until Only his to... redemption in the end. Yeah, and then it's all of a sudden... Do I want the treasure just... or do I save the kid? <laughs> yeah, and it's like, whoa, okay. So so we're not... He's not the villain now. Okay, okay, weird. Like, And that kind of just... It honestly, it threw me for a little bit and I didn't know... I, I didn't know what to think you anymore. You know what? I, this may be an effect of how many times I've seen this movie. Because I, I did not mention this. Not only have I seen this movie before, I've seen this movie a good half dozen times. And not oh. not not that I will necessarily like seek it out to watch it, right? But it's one of those situations mm-hmm. where if it's available for me to watch, I can't help but watch at least parts of it because there are parts of this movie that do draw me in. Uh, I like that John Silver. He he says this one line um, uh, when uh, Jim asks him about how he lost his eye and his hand and his leg. He says, you know, what happened, and he just looks at his hand and very solemnly says you give up a few things chasing a dream. And that's really deep. Like that's a that's a a, a yeah. pretty big moment from from a villain. You won't you don't really get that kind of depth in just a sentence from any from many of the other Disney villains who are just villains to be villains, right? Right. Like I mean Scar is a good example of a character where like no no, you you understand his motivations. He's he's got a lot going for him. I mean, like Cruella Deville. What's her motivation? She's just a spoiled rich lady who's killed yeah. some puppies, right? Like, 
that yep. or like the horned king he's just villain if we you know reference black cauldron but then you get someone like ursula where it's like okay there's some jealousy here there's something a little more deeper in the character and john silver is one of those elements that i i in watching the movie and, and focusing in on his arc you know on multiple viewings it starts to to like, scratching away the surface, I see a little bit more there than perhaps I I would have seen in the first time I watched this. Or like you said, it was a little confusing watching him be so wishy-washy in whether he was a good guy or whether he was a bad guy. Not that right. I'm telling you to watch the movie again, but... <laughs> no, 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 no. Just watch I, everything I, up till Ben showing up and then fast forward. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd be like, oh, yeah, we have a giant explosion and they all get the money and they go home. Okay, bye. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and maybe... And, and I might maybe maybe most of my reasoning why I'm confused or or had a hard time watching it was because again I'm coming off of what I I was expecting it to just stick with the treasure planet or sorry the treasure island story right. I guess this is one of those few times where like I'm watching it going why are they changing this why did they <laughs> okay. change that like usually I'm I'm all for something trying to change you know or to like to to. Uh, I try. I can't think of the actual term, find, but like find, try to find a unique find voice. A new, say, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this one, this one, I went into it going like, oh no, you. I, okay, over the first half of the film, it's very much so a Treasure Island. Damn, yeah, Treasure Island. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then to change it in the last half just felt a little strange to me. And I and and maybe maybe that kind of jaded my opinion a little bit more on this particular mm-hmm. film than it normally would have, but. Um, I know, I'll, I'll I'll give it another watch someday, maybe, um, maybe. and yeah, see no, no. how I feel. You know, it's so, something that I I appreciate from it that it's is that it's science fiction again. We are we are three movies in a row playing with sci-fi without playing directly into standard aliens, lasers, spaceship sci-fi. Right, like Atlantis right. was this journey to the center of the Earth steampunky science fiction. Lilo and Stitch is a very modern day. It's obviously it, yes, it's space aliens and lasers, but to set it it's in kind the of location that the yeah yeah and and now we have this this science fiction which is this mishmash of 17th century aesthetic and I suppose steampunky science fiction, um, mm-hmm. but it, it doesn't feel sterile right like a lot of science fiction can feel sterile if you look at classic science fiction pre Star Wars if you look at Star Trek. The future of science fiction is always very sterile. And this, because of that 17th century aesthetic mashed with the lasers and aliens, it gives it a, a, a dirtier look, a, a grittier look than uh, than we, we we could see from other science fiction. And I, I, I admire them for doing it. They had a... Um, Clements and Musker and the animation team had a rule. They called it the 70-30 rule. Okay. 70% of all designs would be Victorian. And the remaining 30% would be as sci-fi as they could get it. And so that was, like, they they created their own rules. And when they did any of their designs, they tried to stick hard to that rule. Uh, even going so far as reinventing space travel to be open air, right? <laughs> like, right, right. It wasn't, it wasn't the vacuum of space. It was more like the high seas adventure. And that's that's very unique of them to, <laughs> to attempt. Now, there's only one difference in the fact that if you fall overboard in the high seas, <laughs> you could still potentially come out of the water. Here, if you fall overboard, you are just floating away for yeah, eternity bye. to your death. <laughs> o- overboard or or un- underboard? I mean, the guy Under- flo- floats away. The bad he guy. Floats <laughs> <up>. <laughs> he floats up, up and away. <laughs> I feel like there is there is more 
deaths by floating off into space in this film than I have ever seen <laughs> you know in what? any there, other movie. I, w- are you counting like the four or five goons that fell to their death as, as the falling to the death trope? <laughs> I'm not going to lie, guys. I wrote down villains and in parentheses, not the main one, though, fall yeah. to their deaths as, as one of the tropes because kind of, yes, yeah, like I the, was. The goons <laughs> fall into the lava of the exploding treasure planet and then the right. crab guy who, who's got the voice you know he's the bad guy like he floats right. he float falls away <laughs> he float falls but in space which direction is up there is no up in space exactly so yeah. he could have fallen to his death by floating up and away from the ship oh boy <laughs> also is this the type of space that you would freeze or mm. explode out in space? Or no, no, it doesn't. It does not appear just, to be. <laughs> okay, so they are literally just floating until they starve to death. <laughs> yep, that's uh, that's a, or fall gets sucked into a black hole. I suppose that is but, terrifying. <laughs> I would rather explode after a minute. <laughs> you know what? The, they establish all their rules in this film and the tone of this film and the style of this film right in the opening prologue. You get the the prologue exposition that's actually a book being read by little little Jim. You get the you get his, his desire to be to go off an adventure, but you get the space ships, right? The space right. sea ships and everything is established right in that first like 3 minutes. And that's pretty that's pretty well done in terms of scripts. And in fact, exposition done right. That's what that is. The prologue is exposition handled correctly? Exposition a little clunkily is like when Delbert and Sarah are talking about Jim and he's overhearing, and she's yeah. like, she's kind of just giving his backstory between in the past 12 years and her backstory. That's a little clunky. That's a little it's just clunky. It's just like, oh, you guys didn't want to make this movie like an extra half hour longer. You wanted to get into it, so let's just have that character which is, expel all this exposition. Yeah, which again, it's fine. I think they handle exposition really well in the prologue. It's a, it's rather clunky, but just to get the ball going uh, in that little scene between Delbert and Sarah. But something I think that they handled really well was the one musical number in this movie. And it's not a musical number in the traditional character's singing sense. It's the dude from the Goo Goo Dolls singing yep. a song written by B.B. Mac. <laughs> and you get the montage of Jim's, the, essentially the themes of Jim's abandonment issues <laughs> uh, done, done to that song. Done to basically, you could argue a music video. Yeah. yeah, or, it just, yeah. It's, or it's just, it's a three and a half minute song montage. It's a montage, isn't it? Because it's, it's when, is that when John was teaching Jim? Yep. Yeah. It's, Stuff, it's right. Okay. He, he's mopping the bucket. He's learning how to tie rope. He's learning how to sail. And you get his backstory about uh, his father abandoning him and and not coming back, and and how he slowly lost his his optimism as a little kid and became a much more jaded rebel that uh, Jim Hawkins has become um, at the essentially the beginning of the movie when when this adventure starts. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I I thought that they handled that. Well, I mean, we've seen this before in in all Tarzan and Lilo and Stitch right. has their development montage. So it's becoming this standard of this era of film where the characters aren't singing anymore to see their lives progress through montage. And I I I like how they handle. It. I don't know what you thought of it because I didn't. It didn't jump out at me as inconsistent as what I'm saying. Oh. No, and honest, my note was the Goo Goo Dolls song, because I, I know, I can never think of the, the guy's name, but I just, like, the Goo Goo Dolls, I know it wasn't, but 
just, yeah. Anyways, uh, my note was just that the Google Goo Dolls song of 35 minutes is the best part of this movie so far. <laughs> that was that was it's, my my note halfway through my notes. It's a brilliant I, uh, showing, not telling. There's not yeah. there's no sound. There's maybe a couple sound effects. There's no dialogue. It's all done through the emotion, uh, the emoting of Jim and John Silver, and even the couple little glimpses we see of Sarah. Uh, it's all done that way, and that's pretty expertly handled. Yeah. And I was completely okay with it. It was a fun, it's a fun, catchy song too. Yeah. And I know that song, you know, like I, I know that, I know the song. I never realized it was from Treasure Planet. <laughs> you know what? Like, whoops. That, that's fine because I'm sure in another decade people will forget that, that Justin Timberlake song was from Trolls. <gasps> that's always a good, man, I've yeah. already forgotten that that song yeah, was from yeah. Trolls. <laughs> or, or that All Star was from Mystery Men, the Smash Mouth song. Uh, not <laughs> Shrek. Yeah, not Shrek, like, right. Uh, but I, I really like that that musical number because it it lays out and establishes all the themes and everything about Jim's character in that that little three minute sequence. His father abandoned him, and this this whole movie is a hero's quest, right? It's the standard hero's journey in many respects, but it's also this this redemption story for young Jim, who's this this rebel, right? And and he just is hoping to make things right for his mom and not be a disappointment to her anymore. And, and, and by chasing the one dream he's ever had in his life, treasure planet, <laughs> treasure planet, yeah, which turns out to be real. <laughs> uh, it was a book. Also funny enough in that opening monologue, uh, our opening scene, uh, there is a, uh, there's a stitch doll on his shelf. Is there? What? Yeah. What? Oh, I didn't see that. Wearing, wearing his, uh, wearing stitches, little space outfit. Wait. Okay. So if, if stitch, the, doll is he's a doll so he'd be a character so is this does treasure planet exist as a as a possible future for our world well see and i here i was thinking that lilo and stitch was supposed to be a movie set in our world so that means it's not but that yes you are correct (laughs) that somewhere in the future once we develop Time, not time, but uh, interdimension, like or like uh, like long distance space travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, we decide to then retroactively go back to old school designs, <laughs> take on old seventeen hundreds esque. I mean, they never, do they actually say they're they're on Earth? Do they say that they're no, on Earth? No, 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 no. It's they're on. Um, it starts with an M. The planet they're on starts with an M. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they're not. They're not <laughs> on Earth. They're not on Earth, and 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 I oh, well, sorry. This is a sweet, uh, quick tangent, but I thought it was really cool. I really liked the fact that the the dock, the space dock. Oh, the spaceport! Uh, yeah, the spaceport looked like the crescent moon. I thought that was a very clever design. That that's, I'm like, no, that's yeah. cool. <laughs> that sequence of zooming in on the spaceport, going into it, all the ships, all the the building designs, the character and creature designs, the ship design. That is an insane piece of animation. If if only. If you would only flip on to watch that that moment, to you gotta appreciate that you're looking at three styles of animation being blended into one thing. That's very admirable. It's very, that they, that very they cool. That oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that spaceport is pretty darn cool. <laughs> <laughs> and just for the record, everybody, I'm I'm including a screenshot of where the uh, Stitch doll the is. Stitch doll. Okay, so uh, so we, so anybody can look we, at take a look we, at it. We haven't had a lot of fan theories or, or movie theories in quite some time. So if Stitch exists on the wall. What's the theory there? Then that that Lilo and Stitch the movie exists in the Treasure Planet universe, or that Stitch was 
somehow a celebrity after everything that happened on Earth. So much so that there's doll versions of him in the Treasure Planet See, universe. So I feel like we're going into the realm of how E.T. and is part of the Star Wars universe. But, but that, that Elliot has that Star means, Wars toys. <laughs> yeah, there is Star Wars toys in it because, I mean, E.T. showed up in the Senate scene in Phantom Menace. But then when in E.T., when Elliot... Or when they're out, when they're out like walking around <laughs> at Halloween, and he sees yeah. a kid dressed up as Yoda, he starts like going after him because, in theory, ET would know who Yoda is. Also, right. their theory is that <laughs> ET is force sensitive. Okay, okay. It's, we're getting into that world because if we introduce the concept that Stitch is a character in the or like is a is a is a doll inside mm-hmm. the Treasure Planet world, then. Mulan is a movie oh, within geez, that right. made-up world. <laughs> okay, all right. I I am going with I, this is what I'm going. With. I'm going with that Lilo and Stitch and Treasure Planet exist in the same universe because a lot okay. of those creature designs, like at the the at the the Benbow Inn where Sarah's serving people, there's that like lady who's like, "I need my drink." She looks a bit like Pleakley from Lilo and Stitch, so okay. she could be from the same alien race. So. Treasure Planet and Lilo and Stitch exist in the same universe, and in that universe, Mulan was a film. <laughs> so, <laughs> see, I like that. I like that. That I think that totally works. And this is just and and and, and that Treasure Planet is way way off in the future. Like Lilo and Stitch took or, place or, present or, day ish. Or that Lilo and uh, sorry that um, Treasure Planet and all these planets and whatnot just exist really 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 far away from Earth, right? Oh, okay, okay. So, so Not like this so is at the same ago, time, just in a galaxy far, far away, within oh. the same time period that Stitch would have gained notoriety, that there would be dolls of him. I'm gonna go with right. that. I'm gonna go with that. It's a little cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> which just, I like which that. just means that Treasure Planet exists in our reality, just really, really far away. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So, you know what? I'll, you know I'll, what, I'll Jeff? That sells. That sells because if you go by Star Trek logic, there are humanoids, bipedal humanoids, all across the galaxy with just slight tweaks to their ears and noses that make them look slightly different from human beings, which explains the weird bridges of the nose on Sarah and Jim. You're welcome. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it! All right! All right! <laughs> All right. Okay. Fine. Um, right. Okay. 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 Let, okay. I'll take it. <laughs> let's, let's go elsewhere in here. James Newton Howard's score. Mwah. <laughs> very well done. Very good. Very good. Kind of that 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 the correct uh, mix between action and again, kind of going back to a little more of like the swashbuckling esque tone yep. to very, it. Very high seas adventure. I love it. I could. I've, yep. I I forgot he had done the score for this. So when when I was looking at the credits and his name came up, I was like, oh. Great. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, of course, the two Goo Dolls, BB Max songs that are in here. <laughs> That's right. Um, oh, man. So, uh, but speaking of High Seas Adventures, the treatment was written by this. You had mentioned this, I think, last week, that this movie was written by the guys who went on to write Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black yes. Pearl. Yep. So a couple of the writers, uh, it's it's you you you'd recognize their names because they're the ones that got all the credit for Pirates of the Caribbean, like right. moving forward up until the most recent one. Uh, but it's Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio. It's those two guys. They're they're two of the four writers that worked on this film. Okay. 
I, so I, can I don't see know their, exactly how that happened. I can see their mm-hmm. style. I can see like uh, hints of their style just in, in John Silver alone being this shades of gray bad guy, much like Barbosa is a shades of gray bad guy in Curse mm-hmm. of the Black Pearl. Uh, or and I guess, yes, Johnny Depp's Jack Sparrow is playing in shades of gray, but he's more neutral good than... than he's chaotic good, if I may be so bold and nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you nerd. <laughs> hey, 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 get out of here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it does I, have a little bit of their style, and you can kind of see that, that because they went on... Uh, uh, after this movie, they they went on to uh, do like one or two little, or uh, not one or two little things. What am I saying? Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, their next film was Pirates of the Caribbean. So they 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 upgraded nicely to a very yep. from a from one of the biggest financial failures in Disney history to one of the biggest financial successes of Disney history. Right. And now the funny thing is about this though is that they actually worked on Aladdin. Oh, oh, were they? There's in- some there's some of the writers that worked on Aladdin. Interesting. Okay, so they definitely have a good sense of adventure, uh, adventure storytelling. Right. Yep. Nice. So they had done, and here, so just a little bit of who they are. They did, uh, they did Aladdin. They did Men in Black, uncredited though. Uh, <laughs> but they also did The Mask of Zorro. Oh, great! The the in the first one, Antonio Banderas, uh, yep. Mark Mark uh, Cam, uh, Martin Campbell directed it. Mm, great stuff. Yeah, they also did The Road to El Dorado. You know, I, someone someone messaged me about Rota del Dorado just to pick up a, twi- a tweet, ro- a Twitter page real quick. Uh, <laughs> someone had asked how we felt about that movie. I had only ever seen it once. Wait, David Hyde Pierce is in that movie. Huh. Anyway, um, <laughs> when it came out, I was in the mindset of if it's not Disney, it ain't good. So yeah. it might be one of those movies that I should go back and check out. Um, but uh, interesting, even more so now that knowing that they were involved in the story. Yeah. And you're going to hate me, but they also helped write Shrek. Ah, oh, oh, <laughs> I, I was debating whether I should tell you that, but I'm like, someone's going to do I it can, in the comments. I, I also, so, uh, hold on a second, who tweeted at me, the Rodell Dorado one, hold on a second. Uh, Sarah M. was the person who tweeted at me about Rodell Dorado. Uh, dig, 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 hi, ho asked me a Shrek question a couple of weeks ago that I couldn't find any context for. So, hey, dig, I'm going to bring it up now. I can <laughs> I can admit that there are parts of Shrek that are good. I can, I can see, if I just look at the first Shrek by itself, yes, I will admit there are some neat things in it. But when you take that franchise as a whole, it's like the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, Jeff. The more you offer, the worse it gets. Yes. If yes. you had just left it the one, or I'm, I'm not going to go on a Pirates of the Caribbean tangent, but I do have a. <laughs> I, I've told you how I would have fixed it, but I I can admit that that yes, dig fine. Shrek has its moments. <laughs> <laughs> and you know guys, what? I who hope gets the credits for those moments. The guys who wrote Treasure Planet. <laughs> <laughs> guys, I hope you all know what you just made TC do. I mean, he. <laughs> Is he just pulled from the depths dirty. of his being I to say dirty. that? Yeah, you, he's gonna have to go take a shower like right now. <laughs> it's okay though, TC, because with the Pirates of the Caribbean film, the fifth one, there's a really good fan theory online that that is actually not Captain Jack Sparrow. Okay, so huh. well, we're gonna move. <laughs> we'll on. talk about yeah, that later. <laughs> we'll talk about that one later because it's a very good theory and mm. I enjoyed it. Mm. Uh, and I'm not gonna tell any of you out there, so <laughs> you'll have to find it yourself. 
Um, actually, since we were kind of briefly on theories a little bit mm-hmm. uh, before we, we 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 moved on and, and around, there is a there is one theory that I stumbled across briefly. I won't go into too much of it because it's a oh. long it's a long Reddit theory. Of course, okay. it's a Reddit okay. theory. Uh, yeah, but basically, course. it says of course. But basically, it says that uh, Jim's father uh, worked as a member of uh, Flint uh, Flint's pirates. Oh, okay. Looking for the treasure planet, which is how Jim knew how to solve the puzzle globe oh. so easily. And in 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 Jim's room, um, there's like hand drawing maps of what treasure planet looks like, and there's mm. a couple like wooden robotic looking figures that kind of look like Ned, Ben, um, ben. or Ben. Sorry, Ned. <laughs> that stuff, Ben. So uh, there's there's it's an interesting theory. It's like oh that's and and the the, the <laughs> artist or the uh, writer goes on at length to explain, uh, and then and the fact that like why Jim's dad never came back was because he either got killed or he got thrown overboard or something happened oh, to him well, because you know, they did find the treasure planet. Uh, yeah, I I think that's that's a, a fair theory. I can I, I'd theory. have to look at it. Yeah. It seems like there might be some good evidence to support it. Um, I I. I like that idea of of the reason Jim has the chip on his shoulder is because he's a dealing is dealing with those abandonment issues to to imagine that his dad was actually a pirate the whole time. You know what? You know what, Jeff? I'm gonna go with mm. this theory just on the simple fact that Will Turner was so against pirates, but his dad ended up being a pirate. <laughs> being and a pirate. Since we're dealing with the same writers, <laughs> I think the theory holds water. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if it. If, yeah, yeah I, I would have to agree. I'd have that to agree. theory <laughs> floats. Oh, um, uh, uh, if, if it floats your boat, does it? Yeah, it does. It does float my boat. We've reached bad pun territory. We guys. do have a few comments that I could that I could hit up here if you want me to jump over the comments yes. section. Uh-huh. Facebook.com slash Top Shelf Pod. We post before we record. If you ever want to throw a question on us that we may or may be able to address or a, a line of conversation that we might be able to address here on the episode, or come back after you've listened to the episode at facebook.com slash top shelf pod to comment on any thoughts, uh, we, anything we might have missed or anything you feel about what we've said. Um, support. Yay. Nay. What do you think of that theory? Hit us up there. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, let us know. <laughs> but uh, first we have Thomas. Thank you for, as always for Thomas. I love how much you, you engage with us. Um, he asks, do you think they cast Joseph Gordon-Levitt solely because he was on Third Rock from the Sun? <laughs> yes. Next question. Uh, <laughs> no. Well, no. I, Joseph Gordon-Levitt had had, he had already had a very good career as a child actor. Like Third Rock from the Sun was certainly something that made him a household name, but he had already worked for, was Angels in the Outfield before this? I'm looking uh, it up right yeah, now. Yeah, should be. I think Angels in the Outfield was like 96 Oh, I don't have internet right now. <laughs> oh, you well, look hold it on. up. I'll look it up. <laughs> so, but besides Angel in the Outfields, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt had a career as a child actor up to this point. But I certainly think, yeah, his his popularity in Third Rock from the Sun probably played a part in at least getting him in the door. Yeah. Um, I like Angels Joseph in the Outfield was 1994. Okay, so yeah. So he he had already established a relationship at Disney. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He's one of those child actors that survived being a child actor. He's this, uh, you know, he's got his... Seems hit- like a really cool guy nowadays, you know? <laughs> yeah, he has his hit re- hit record or hit record, however you want to say it, his uh, his online community of creative people that he uh, that he established a few years back. Like, I like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And I think he 
plays Jim really well. Like, mm-hmm. uh, it's one of those voice actors that you could honestly see playing the part if it was done in real life. Um, David Hyde Pierce as well, I think. Actually, to be honest, I think all the voice acting in this works really well. Emma Thompson as Captain Amelia was oh yes was pretty good. Yeah. Oh yes, and and Laurie Metcalf just for the little bit of time that she's on as as Jim's mom, as Jim's mom, yeah. which you know I guess more people know her probably from nowadays from what Big Bang Theory, but. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's Roseanne's sister. Come on, people. It's yeah. Roseanne's sister. That's who I know her <laughs> it's as. Jackie. It's Jackie from Roseanne. It's Jackie. Yeah. It's Aunt Jackie, who ironically, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was on Roseanne for a handful of episodes. Well, mm. how do you like that? They must have the same agent. That's what I'm just going to I think they, they probably do. That's the only thing I can think of. Uh, Andrea comments. Andrea, thank you for, for listening and commenting. She says, I watched this one recently and had never seen it before. Oh, first timer. Ooh, uh, fantastic. And she says, you know, I wasn't really a big fan of this movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> I wasn't a fan <laughs> of John Silver and the fact that we didn't know if he was a good guy or a bad guy. Okay, we had discussed this. And I also was not a fan of the colonial vibe in space. It was strange. I wish Disney had just stuck to the original story of Treasure Island and done it well. That is a pretty good point that I wonder, Jeff, Jeff do you think that this movie would have worked if they had just straight up adapted Treasure Island? So my theory on that is for when it came out, no. If okay. it had come out two and a half years later, yes. Hmm. Why, because Pirates oh, of the Caribbean, Caribbean would have already come out. You're right. Because Pirates of the Caribbean helped revitalize the the swashbuckling like era. Oh, yeah, you're and you're films. right on. The the, the the pirate movies had been tanking. One of the biggest box office one of the biggest financial failures of all time is Cutthroat Island, I think. It's the yeah. it's um you know the one time it's the live action swashbuckling. It's like one it's yep. notorious for being this terrible financial success so yeah i think you're onto something there if they had done it just as a straight up treasure island adaptation it probably would have well i mean it did fail but it probably might have failed even exactly more. <laughs> because because so and and why we're getting all these sci-fi films and i was kind of doing some thinking about this we have three of these disney sci-fi movies in a row what mm. big sci-fi space film came out in 99 oh, and then 2002 yeah, and then 2005. Episode one, yeah. Of course. That's what brought this resurgence again. I mean, again, not saying that there wasn't sci-fi space movies you know, before this, but yeah. why all of a sudden are there three of these sci-fi films in a row for Disney animated films? Well, they had to be playing yeah. off the, 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 the vibe and like the resurgence of the sci-fi action film. Yeah. So we're doing sci-fi action. and But yeah, had this movie come out... Oh, a little yeah. bit later, it would have been more successful as a treasure. Actually, you could argue it might have worked even even in its current state if it had come okay, out a little yeah. bit later. Well, see, Jeff, this this era of animation, it it really offered some of the bravest, most interesting animated films ever released up to this point. And and I'm you know we saw Atlantis and we saw Lilo and Stitch, but I'm not just impressed by Disney's willingness to take chances on something like Atlantis and Lilo and Stitch, but Treasure Planet came out the same time as some other really subversive animated films that weren't standard animated films. Chicken Run, um, Iron Giants, which we mentioned last week, is one of the mm-hmm. greatest animated movies. Bugs Life. And, and Pixar were setting their standard at this point with, with Monsters, Inc., just like right on the horizon. So we're in this era of of really bold chances being taken. And I think Treasure Planet was doomed 
to fail from the beginning. <laughs> no, honestly, Jeff, this movie came yeah. out in the winter. This is a summer movie. This this yeah. is a summer movie. And they released it. Jeff, they released this movie against Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And the Santa Claus 2. <laughs> Did that also come out I'm, the same time? I, yes, yep. And I'm not going to lie, guys. Um, I went and saw Santa Claus 2 in theaters, actually. I, actually, I, I remember seeing Santa Claus 2 in theaters. Well. But that, I didn't see this movie. I saw that movie instead. That That is not... Why did... did they didn't advertise for this movie? There was no... We, we talked about the successful advertising of Lilo and Stitch, and they were advertising mm-hmm. that movie six months ago. And more before Treasure Planet ever, or before Lilo and Stitch ever came out. With Treasure Planet, they did two trailers. One of them spoiled the whole thing. They didn't. Ha- they had some toys through a McDonald's deal or maybe Burger King, but they didn't. They didn't trust that this movie would do any good. Ka- Katzenberg hadn't been with the country since the '90s, right? So they didn't right. have him there. They had gone through, at l- I, I think two other heads of animation up to this point. It might have just been one, but we've seen the transition of 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 the the heads of Disney Animation up to this point. So, uh, Muster and Clemens didn't have anybody on their back, and the enti- Jeff, the entire animated industry had shifted to CGI. Audiences didn't want to yeah. see a two D animated movie anymore. Not American audiences. This thing did fine overseas, but when you have a, a overseas uh, has an appreciation for anime then it, certainly it's going to do better overseas. But American audiences, domestic audiences, at this point in time, this movie yeah. was doomed. And that's that's a damn shame. I mean, hell, if, I'm sorry, I'm like, like I'm, I'm, just, I'm just realizing <laughs> no, I'm all, these, like, all, all, these, all these reasons. I had written down this movie was doomed to fail because Katzenberg wasn't there. But I'm thinking of like all these other movies that came out in this era were moving so far beyond 2D animation that – this movie came out at the wrong time for the wrong people. That's why it has a cult following now. Cause there definitely is a following and a love for this movie now that did not exist when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie was nominated for best animated film. And even the team, the animation team was surprised. Even they were like, really? <laughs> we, really? We're, we're getting nominated here. <laughs> did, um, did they see the same movie we made? Cause I don't think they did. I feel like, no. So I guess if we're if we're playing theories here, if we want to go back to theories, here here's my I think theory. We should. Here's my theory, Jeff. Mm-hmm. I think Disney steamrolled Treasure Planet to kill 2D animation. And I know that sounds strange that a company would do that to themselves, but I honestly think that this we have only two more 2D animation movies in this library, if you don't count Princess and the Frog. Right. Um, in 2009. But we only have two more 2D animation, animated movies coming up, and that's it. And I think Disney was doing their part to kill 2D animation because and, and, you can't yeah. compete with CGI. They couldn't even compete with themselves at Pixar. Right. And I mean, and look at how I mean, like, and, and the reason why you could argue that these were still coming out when there is an abrupt shift in oh nope we're done with this we're going to we're going to cg because these movies were obviously in production already right of course, you know, like, of course. Like, like like this one was in the treasure planet they were you know they, like i think you brought it up like they, they were saying like this is this was a in production for years before mm-hmm. it actually mm-hmm. got to the point where it was released and our our final two films uh come out over a next the next year and a half from when this one was released yeah the, it's so 
it, it, it's, it's a very tight too. yeah it's a very tight time frame that you obviously could see that they were in they were just in works they're just like yeah okay let's just keep going come on like yeah. just get them done get pump them out so we can we can be done with this meanwhile this is 2002 chicken little comes out in 2005 that's a three-year gap you know they're already making chicken little at this point oh yeah they, i mean with the success of toy story alone um, yeah they could see the the writing was clearly on the wall that that 2D was dead. Uh, Titan AE, which we've mentioned multiple times, was the death of Fox Animation Studios because that was such a financial failure that Fox Animation Studios was shut down. They killed Ugh. all the productions that were in development because it was just cheaper for them to just cancel them than release them for nothing uh, or even finish them. Um, uh, uh, Sinbad, uh, um, which came like DreamWorks, even tried their hand with 2D animation for a while. There was Sinbad, which had a um, Brad Pitt was the voice of Sinbad. I remember that one. Um, they had a uh, <laughs> man, the, that's um, right. The, the 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 Moses one. Um, uh, oh gosh, Son oh. Of- what was that one called? <laughs> uh, is that Someone's the is that, was that the Prince of Egypt? Prince of Egypt, yes, thank you. Like, okay, yeah, uh, they, yeah. <laughs> Spirit of the Shimmer, uh, Spirits, the the horse movie. Like they, even oh, DreamWorks yeah. was watching the failures of two G two G two G two D animation <laughs> and the success of CGI. So it's it's this sad end of things, and that that's what I I think makes Treasure Planet so special in that. It was, they had all the resources to make this movie, right? They weren't, their budget was never cut. They were never given any short shrift on, on what they were able to do in the development and production of the film. Whereas the, the two that were coming down the pipe were given smaller budgets and did not have the faith of the studio anymore. And that's what makes Treasure Planet special in a small way, because this is it. Like we're, I, I mean, we we obviously shared our love for Emperor's New Groove being the the final peak of 2D animation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> and, and it's also what makes Lilo and Stitch so special. And uh, and yeah, I'm I'm, it's it's a little sad, to tell you the truth. <laughs> it's sad, and I I want I'm really curious to see these next two because these next two I've never seen. Okay. The next two movies on our list, mm-hmm. and I know we're we're kind of this is I feel like we're wrapping up the episode. Am I, am I wrong uh, out of out of saying that? Is 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 this? Do you, well, I mean, how do you feel about that? Of all the movies we've watched so far, ah Jeff, no, <laughs> I was going to try to distract we you. <laughs> we can't wrap it up without without answering the question everyone wants to know is which is <laughs> which is where does this movie rank in the three movies we've watched so far for this set of ten numbers? Curse you! <laughs> trying to it's trying to like distract you because you opened the show i was hoping to switch places with you well, you can you can do the sign uh, <laughs> i'm gonna so mess that up i, so I, many I beat i beat you to the punch on the ranking because <laughs> you you had said like we're wrapping up here and like we we can't wrap it up without at least at least placing this just on the off chance you might be a new listener what we've been doing is watching all these movies in sets of 10 and ranking them one through 10 um so as not to go through the headache of trying to rank one through 56 it's a lot of movies. Uh, so it's a lot of movies. <laughs> we, we are in our, our new set of 10, which has only had Lilo and Stitch. Uh, or we started with Atlantis, The Lost Kingdom, Lilo and yep. Stitch, and now Treasure Planet here. Now, Jeff, I am curious where this will land because I don't really re- remember how you overall felt about Atlantis, so I don't know where the, I don't know where you're going on this. I don't know where you're going. I was gonna say, and I feel like our opinions of Atlantis were just well, this one has to be one because it's the first one on our list of ten. So eh, yeah. here you go, guys. Yeah. Um, this. Uh, mm-hmm. So when it comes down to it, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, despite any of the negative comments or reaction that we, I, that at least I, I will not speak for TC, but at least that I have stated in this episode, uh, I am putting this at my number two. Okay. Because honestly, it was still a little more enjoyable than Atlantis. <laughs> I, and I'm not saying like, oh, it's, you know, leaps and bounds beyond Atlantis. I, uh, Atlantis wasn't that great of a film when Mm -hmm. looking back on it for me right now. And as of this moment, I probably would put Treasure Planet on beforehand. Again, despite the fact that Martin Short in the last 20 minutes (laughs) is loud and obnoxious. Uh, So uh, what what I'm hearing you say, Jeff, is we're going to make a fan edit of this where you voice Ben and we we rewrite his dialogue to be less annoying. I think we should do that as well as make a fan edit that combines Titan AE Atlantis (laughs) and as just one movie to make the movie that I thought I was watching. (laughs) So... So you're putting it at your number two. Okay, so that puts... I'm going to put it at my Atlantis. number two. It's it's a close... It's honestly Atlantis and It right now are very close to one another. Mm-hmm. In, in my head, they're not like... They're not super far apart from one another. Lilo and Stitch is still way better than both of these last yeah. two films, at least for me. So number two. <laughs> there you go. Booyah. Well, uh, oftentimes when I when we, we do rank these movies, it does come down to just those like minor little things that put something over another. Um, mm-hmm. I like I love Mike Mignola's artwork that and the fact that they used his art art his design for the art direction in Atlantis. Um, obviously, I have a, a very special place in my heart for for Michael J. Fox, um, and uh, I, I love the the Jules Verne adventure that Atlantis goes on. But when it comes down to it, Treasure Planet, especially now that I've seen it at least six times, and I've been able to take away little nuances about it that I may not have seen over the other times I've watched it. There's more to appreciate about Treasure Planet, whether it's the technical achievement of it or the the narrative storytelling achievement. And Jim and John Silver's relationship, to me, is so interesting and so really very, very well uh, ca- um, explored, right? And okay. and mm-hmm. even, even having a line of John Silver, like I wrote this quote down because I, I find it's a great quote, when Jim is at his lowest and he's he's talking to John just saying like I'm I don't know what what am I going to do I screwed up I got so I got um uh Mr. Arrow killed like he feels like a failure he's at his low point and even though we know John Silver's a bad guy he he picks him up he picks Jim up and says look he says you got the makings of greatness in you but you got to take the helm and charge your own course stick to it no matter the squall and when the time comes and you really get to test your sails and show what you're made of, I hope I'm there catching some of the light coming off of you that day. That's a really beautiful soliloquy. Yeah. Just a really be- – not a soliloquy, but a little – just a, a, a wonderful sentiment of a mentor who's a, who's an antagonist to this this lost hero who's a protagonist. And that's – that's that's really solid writing for all the shortcomings that may come in the third half of this film with with Ben <laughs> and and how I feel that none of the none of the humor really works in this overall film. It's moments like those that that make me appreciate this movie for for what it really attempted to do. So I am also placing it in my number two. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, it's not it's not my number one. Lilo and Stitch again. I don't feel like I I, I specified it enough just how special. Lilo and Stitches as a film, um, 
but uh, so it's definitely holding that number one spot very strongly. <laughs> yep, yep, and that, and that's right where I'm at in it. it yeah, I, I know we have we obviously there's a couple of movies coming up that I might think differently of, but <laughs> the gap between one and two on my list Big. is a lot greater. Is a yeah. huge gap compared to the gap between two and three. Yeah, I'm right so. there with you, Jeff. I'm right <laughs> there. I, I think if you if you uh, grew up with this film, maybe go back and give it a rewatch. Uh, I know I'm kind of talking about it like I'm on the wrong podcast right now, but uh, <laughs> it it falls into that realm of Goonies or uh, you mentioned Muppet Treasure Island. Um, mm-hmm. It even has elements of the 2009 J.J. Abrams Star Trek. Which is a it's a fast paced adventure sci fi film and and Jim's little uh, kick, cloud kicker tailspin move at the beginning <laughs> is not that different from little Jim Kirk racing the car over the cliff in the two thousand nine Star Trek. So yeah, I think if you're a fan of those types of movies, this movie's probably right up your alley. And I and I think. Uh, you know, if only it was streaming somewhere, you could watch it. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, and I just can't believe it was. Str- okay, I swear, guys, last week when we were recording <laughs> yeah. the podcast, this thing was available on Netflix and, and Hulu. I went to go watch it Sunday morning and went, it's, it's gone. nowhere. <laughs> it's gone. And I, so I ended up buying it off of uh, off of Amazon Prime. I re- mm. Sorry, I rented it. Rented it, Because yeah. I'm, 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 I'm sorry, I'm not going to spend $16 for a movie that I... Could have thought was Titan AE. <laughs> and I don't want that. That's, that's yeah. not fair. That's not fair. Well, I, I am curious to hear what uh, the listeners might have to say. You know, Thomas and Andrew, thank you for commenting as well uh, already. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious to hear what people might have to say, having now heard us discuss the film or maybe going back and, and rewatching it or just being reminded of it them, themselves. Uh, but this, this movie was such a, a – it's the end of an era in terms of its style in a way. But um, I got in a conversation with one of our listeners, Gene. Gene, thank you for listening. He actually commented about Black Cauldron in that he really likes the movie, and he was he remembered we had been pretty hard on it. And mm. and I, I think Black Cauldron kind of falls in the same category as Treasure Planet, maybe Atlantis in a way. It amazes me how much love this movie gets, even though they were all failures, right? Right. That, uh, that there is a following for... Treasure Planet and Black Cauldron, and it's worth mentioning that with Black Cauldron, both Jeff and Jeff, you and I, we saw the potential in that movie, and that's personally yeah. why I was disappointed in it. Is that we yep. saw, and you know the meddling of Mr. Jeffrey Katzenberg and pulling twelve minutes of the movie, and it was this huge wasted <laughs> opportunity. That's certainly not the same criticism as as we're giving Treasure Planet, but um, yeah. That, so Gene, thank you for listening and and engaging me in that conversation so if you listening right now want to engage jeff ryan conversation you can hit me up mm. on twitter at tc's big head you can hit up jeff at random bell or once again our facebook um, facebook.com slash top shelf pod we can comment on any of the episodes you've listened to as well as uh, Lindsay and collins um reviews of the oscar the best uh, the oscar winners um which yes. uh, i think hurt locker is their most recent episode right now yep yep they are, they they are planning on doing more. Trust me. It's just it's everyone's busy. And yeah. I'm busy. Life Ugh. finds a way. Life, life. Okay, Jeff Goldblum. He <laughs> <laughs> just didn't stutter nearly enough as uh, uh, as he did. Uh, uh, a life uh, finds a way. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> that was pretty spot on, right? There. <laughs> uh, thank you. Oh, I hit my mic. Don O D N A. That's all I can do. I can't do <laughs> do the stupid animated. Well, DNA particle. Uh, until Anyways. <laughs> before your voice completely craps out, Jeff, I think it's we can wrap it up gone, here. Guys. What are we watching next week? 
All right, everybody. Well, next week we are watching the 2003 film, which I went to uh, Disney Animation Studios in Florida while they were producing this film. So I got mm. to see a bunch of like the the sketches <laughs> and the artists actually animating and painting the cells okay. um, while they were making this, this movie. Is this? But I, okay, huh? I can't remember which one it is. So I'm waiting for you to say it. So this one is the 2003 film Brother Bear. Ah, yes. Okay. All right. Brother Bear. We are... Hmm. <laughs> it appears that we'll be getting into a trilogy of animal-based films. <laughs> we that just got true. done with that a trilogy true. of sci-fi films. Now we're moving on to a, a trilogy of animation, animated... Or, uh, sorry, of animal animated films. All right. Well, uh, if you can get a hold yeah. of Brother Bear and give it a watch before oh, our discussion, man. I am I am curious what people might have to say about this movie. Jeff, you haven't seen it before, so I am no. curious to hear what you have to say about it. And I myself am curious to go back and watch it because I've only ever seen it once before. So that, that'll make a... I think all that being said, we'll have a, a rather interesting episode next week. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be fun. I'm curious to see this movie that I've never seen before <laughs> i don't i don't uh, so yeah can't wait it's gonna be fun <laughs> <laughs> with all just, that being said <laughs> jeff thank you so much for another great episode <laughs> hey thanks for thanks for taking over control of this week's episode tc it's all for uh, the greater good jeff you are you it are is my, for the greater you are my good. partner in crime you would you are never my oh. assistant you are always my partner Despite the opening of this episode, I was just so flabbergasted because I volunteered to do something I was completely not prepared to do. <laughs> well, right. um, and you gave me the option to yep. do the end credit thing. Yep. I cannot do it. So TC, please no, okay. do it for us. With, with, with all that, this has been a podcast. We have been the people you've been listening to. And this yep. is a sign off. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it, buddy. That's it, buddy. I could have sworn See, I heard your fingers clacking like you were writing it down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I should have been writing it down. Mm-hmm. It's not like I have 43 episodes I could go back to and listen to the end bit. <laughs> Honestly, That'd I don't know if easy. I've done it the same way twice. So. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a production of Ghost Hat Media, proud member of the Ghost Hat Network. Find them online at www.ghosthat.net. <laughs> I like the ending. <laughs>